Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs, and today we are lucky enough to have Hannah Kunawati with us. And Hannah is a research scientist at the University of Queensland studying robots. And she's designing software tools to allow robots to make their own strategies, like think for themselves in some ways, and such as deciding what data to use and how to obtain that data. So it sounds quite interesting and quite difficult to make this happen. So Hannah received her PhD in computer science from the National University of Singapore, and in 2015, was named as one of the top 25 women in robotics in the world, which is that that's a that's pretty big. So I asked Hannah to come on the show because I'm curious to learn more about her research on how it'll affect robotics in the future. So Hannah, thanks for joining us today. No problem, my pleasure. And uh, I want to let the audience know that Hannah's been very patient. We're using Skype, and I did a very poor job of figuring out how to record this. So uh, now we're now we're ready to go. So. Uh, um, I, this uh, will be well worth the, the wait. <laughs> um, but, so, <laughs> so, Anna, be- before we start, do you want to just uh, tell us about your background and how you got interested in robotics? And that'd be great. Yeah, sure. So, I'm actually trained as a computer scientist. So, I did uh, all my degrees in computer science uh, from my undergrad uh, at the University of Indonesia. And then I went for a PhD also in computer science in National University, National University of Singapore. Uh, so that's where I actually started doing research in robotics so while doing my PhD. Um, then after that, I did a postdoc uh, in the Singapore MIT Alliance for Research and Technology, which is an MIT research center funded by the Singapore government. And again, I do research in the computer science side of robotics. So... Uh, my interest in robotics, actually, I grew up with a lot of Japanese cartoons. And at the time, most of the Japanese cartoons uh, involved robots. So it's like Paul Bose, Shogun. I don't know if you heard about that or I'm getting too old. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I got interested at, at robotics since uh, quite young. Um, but I only got a chance to start doing something there when I did my PhD in, in, in U.S. in Singapore. And so when there's a chance to do that, of course, I'll take it. So so that's how I got started in robotics, and I guess the rest is sort of history. Nice. And so you grew up in, did you grow up in Japan? No, I grew up in Indonesia, but uh, I, I guess thought, it's... That's what uh, I thought. I was like, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so, but the uh, Japanese cartoon is quite uh, popular in Indonesia. Oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> yes. Interesting. All right. And were you always kind of curious growing up, or uh, how... You know, what, what attracted you to computer science? Oh, uh, yeah, well, well uh, so basically my brother got his first computer when I was around uh, fourth grade. Uh, so he, he is much older than me. Uh, he's around seven and a half years older than me. And then uh, once he get this this computer, this box, right, in our, in our living room, then uh, whenever he's uh, away, I start playing with it, and it seems to uh, to be awesome because because well, I'm the youngest, and so with the computers, I can actually tell the computers uh, to do stuff I want. Like, <laughs> whereas usually I can't do that to my brother. <laughs> ah, I like it. 
Right, you need to somehow <laughs> program a robot to beat up your brother when he wasn't nice. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I didn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, all right. And so, what was your uh, PhD thesis on at Singapore? Yeah, so uh, right, so that's uh, on path planning for robots with many degrees of freedom. So basically, it's about how do you make robots a bit with many joints. So you can think of like snake-like robot or the or humanoid robots uh, to move from one configuration to another while satisfying the the kinematics constraints it has, uh, avoiding collision with obstacles and so on. So, so uh, during my PhD, I actually assumed that it's a perfect world. So the robot knows the environment uh, perfectly. The robot knows the effect of what it is doing to the environment perfectly as well. And um, so apparently, even that uh, is a quite difficult problem. It's considered as computationally hard problem. So yeah, so that's that's basically what I did for my thesis. Gotcha. And yeah. Oh, gotcha. And so like. Um... So, you know, you mentioned, like, the snake having different parts. So did you have the snake try to go through the environment, or what, what, did, you actually, uh, what did you actually study? Oh, so last time it was – so trying to move uh, – so one of the motivating examples we have last time, for instance, is if you have a trunk-like robot, so you can imagine, like, a snake-like robot, but it is operating in 3D environment. Yeah. And then it has a base. At the end of the other effector is a camera. So then if you want this to be able to, for instance, uh, do bridge inspection, so into, if you see like the struts of the bridges, uh, the small, small area, then you want to be able to somehow make this robot from the default location to actually wrap around some parts of the structures and see what's going on there. Now, in order for it to actually move to this kind of places, that is a difficult uh, problem. And so what I did last time is I used a, what's called a probabilistic-based uh, motion planner, um, which is basically it's about trying to figure out uh, the connectivity of this high-dimensional space by using random sampling. Interesting. And trying to figure out... And, and, yeah. and what do you mean by high connectivity? Uh, sorry, say that again? All right, and what do you mean by the high connectivity of the space? Oh, so basically in order for it to move from one place to another while satisfying the, all the constraints, uh, that means the, the, the points of that particular configuration are located in the same connected components of the, of the goal location, for instance, right? So basically, you can move without set, without violating any of the constraints oh, wow. from one uh, yeah. point to another. Uh, but uh, this point actually lies in a very high dimensional space. Well, the dimension of that space is the same as the number of joints you have uh, in your robot or uh, the number of control parameters you have on that robot. It, so sometimes it can be in 30 and then it can be hundreds and so on. Interesting. So, you, so yeah. So, so basically, that's that's sort of what I did. Yes. So you you essentially wanted the snake to go from one point to the next point without any type of uh, direction in theory, but it had to navigate through the environment. Yeah, without wow. any of the obstacles in the environment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, I can I can direct you to the video in my website if you like. I think that might be 
might be easier to see than to say. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, great. Well, that, that sounds like a, a steep challenge. Um, you didn't pick an easy task. And uh, so what about your, uh, your current research? What are you working on uh, now? Yeah, so uh, during my PhD, I assume uh, that the robot knows the environment perfectly, and then the robot also knows uh, what what is the effect of its actions to the environment uh, exactly as well. But if you bring it to the real world, uh, well, usually there will be sensing errors, there will be actuation errors, there will be perception errors, and the world is sometimes unpredictable as well. So you lose all this assumption of nice, perfect info- information that the robot has. So my current research is trying to basically expand uh, what I did last time during my PhD to handle uh, this uncertainty. So basically on trying to figure out how should the robot behaves if uh, in the presence of various types of uncertainty. The simplest one is that if you think of uh, marine robots, right, uh, then that marine robots will be uh, will be drifted by water patterns, for instance, but you don't usually know what the water patterns are. Uh, you can predict it, but usually the prediction uh, is not exactly perfect as well. So despite of that, if you are operating in a very busy harbor, for instance, you don't want your robot to actually bump into the ships or the other things in that harbor. So how do you navigate through that? That's one example, for instance. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious from the technical standpoint how you make that happen. But uh, which we don't have to get into too many details, but um, it, what, what type of use cases are you working on, like, in, in your research? Is it, are you working in the, with the robots in the water, or do you have other use cases that you're experimenting with? Yeah, so... Um... So first of all, my work is mostly on the algorithm side. So I'm definitely okay. I'm trying to make this uh, this nice mathematical construct that we know. Uh, so people in mathematics actually knows uh, have a rigorous framework on how to make decisions under uh, various types of uncertainty. Uh, but the problem is that when you try to make it uh, to apply that to robotics, usually the problem becomes extremely huge and and uh, computational. And it's very high computational complexity. So then what I did was I, well, what I'm doing now is that I'm designing algorithms to enable this kind of mathematical construct to become practical for uh, for robots, practical software tools for robots. Now, there are various applications. So the one that I'm looking is one, uh, for instance, is in the marine robot side. Uh, I'm wondering if we can use some small robots, for instance, like... Uh, just the cheap ones like OpenROP, for instance, to do something more interesting uh, like uh, um, um, exploring the... So there's actually a lake in, in my university, and we need to monitor the environment, like the, the planktons inside that lake and stuff like that. So that's one of the things I'm trying to do. And then the other thing is that I'm also looking into manipulation and manipulators uh, trying to figure out what's the, uh, if we want the manipulators to work with human, then what's the intention of the person around uh, that robots, rather than trying to, uh, perhaps, yeah, rather than trying to put this, uh, a whole bunch of sensors to the, to the person, then you might want to just put in, well, a better algorithm 
to figure out what's the intention of the person and then make decision uh, based on uh, knowing that there's uncertainty in what the person is trying to do. Interesting. So would it almost uh, uh, anticipate what, what the person is going to do or how would you make sure they don't collide? Yeah, or, sure. yeah. yeah, a little bit like that. Yes. Uh, so basically try, trying to figure out... Uh, trying to figure out what the person is trying to do without actually... Uh, so you need to give a little bit of leeway that you know your your prediction of what the person is going to do might be wrong. And so then you want to actually figure out how to deal with that. So if I can go into the more technical details, uh, uh, do you want me to go yeah, then? Or? Yeah, let, let's try it. Oh, okay. <laughs> let's try it. Okay. <laughs> yes, then that might be, that might be better. Uh, yeah. So basically, existing methods uh, usually try, in robotics, usually try to build a, a good model, the best model possible. And then uh, that model can be model of what's the effect of uh, the robot's action, robot's control to its environment, uh, to its uh, state. And then the other one is the model of the environment itself. Right? And then once they have all this model, then they, they do decision making, planning, uh, assuming that the model is a good model. What I'm trying to do is that rather than trying to have this dichotomy, I'm trying to figure out if I can have a better uh, planner, a better decision maker that takes into account the uncertainty in my models, knowing that, well, I might not have um, perfect knowledge of the environment, perfect predictability of the environment, then I might reduce the requirement for the perfect model. Uh, but still be able to achieve whatever I want to achieve uh, perfectly fine. So that's where I'm trying to get at. And the way to do that uh, for me is that I'm trying to quantify uncertainty using probability. And uh, this is this quantifying of uncertainty using probability and making decisions based on such probability are not new. So those people in operation research, for instance, uh, have created nice frameworks on that. But uh, the problem is all those frameworks are very high computation, requires very high computational complexity. And so it's not practical for robotics. So what I'm trying to do is that I'm trying to bring this nice mathematical constructs to actually be able to be practical for robotics. Interesting. And do you have, can you share like a specific example that you're working on that in your lab um, that you're trying, you know, and how, um, yeah, how you're trying to model that? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I have two things, actually. Uh, perhaps one thing is is on the... Uh, so one thing is, one of the projects I'm doing, I haven't released it yet, so I'm reluctant to say. Oh, no, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, don't worry about yeah. it. <laughs> so, so the other one is the one that we have, um, for instance, if we want to uh, to have the, for instance, one is in the marine robots domain, if we want to be able to inspect in very cluttered environment, like in BC Harbor, for instance, yeah. then um, one way you can do is to enlarge uh, the all the obstacles around. And so that way it's guaranteed that you're not going to collide, right? You can enlarge it as big as you want. And so your possible parts are going to be quite small. Interesting. But the problem is if you have many, many obstacles around, then enlarging those obstacles might actually close all the possible 
solutions you might have. And so in the end of the day, you might end up with, well, the robot says, I won't be able to move because it's just too cluttered. Mm. Mm. That's a problem. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's okay. a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. This happens, for instance, even if you have autonomous car, yes, if you are operating in uh, nice streets, uh, low-abiding citizen, like in California street, that's nice. But if you want to bring it, for instance, to the streets of Jakarta, where things may not be that uh, that need. Yeah. <laughs> so that's going and, to be a bit more difficult. And you, uh, right. and you, can, you explain, yeah. can you explain what's in your model? Like what, you know, if, uh, if a robot encounters this obstacle, it should back away or like, you know, what do you, what do you program into that uh, model? Oh, so the way I do it is that uh, if you have everything that's deterministic, you can model it using 3, 3D maps, for instance. Okay. Right? So it's just a, a 3D model of the environment. But now if you start having uncertainty, then you can no longer uh, represent just with uh, a, a single model. So usually you will end up with probability. What I use is that I assign distributions of the possible work model that the robot might encounter. And then from there, it means I can sort of wait. uh, That probability can be like a quantifier of how likely this kind of environment happens, how likely that other possible environment happens. And then based on that, you can actually figure out the trade-off of whether this is actually uh, this part is safe enough, for instance, for the robot to move, or do I need to figure out more about this environment uh, that I can reduce the uncertainty some more? Interesting. And, and what type of sensors are you using to gather the data about the environment? Oh, um, well, it can be any type of sensors. Um, usually, the one we use is laser, like okay. lidars, yeah. and also camera. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And we're almost out of uh, time here, unfortunately. But I, I'm curious, you know, what are some of your, or how far along is, uh, you know, with the, the marine robot, you know, what can you accomplish now or what have you uh, done with that? Uh, uh, yeah, so we have some of, so in terms of the algorithms, we have some of them that can, that, uh, well, that, that is running on OpenROV, for instance, trying to uh, to monitor our uh, our lake behind uh, in this huh. in in the lake. Right? Uh, then, yeah. So that's one of the example. And then the thing is that many of the algorithms I have usually I make it just open source, and then people take it and use it for their problems. Right, so some of them, for instance, are using it for collision avoidance of aircraft. Uh, some of them are using it for pedestrian collision avoidance of autonomous car, for instance. And so, yeah, so so that uh, because I work more on the software side and developing the algorithms, I let I let it for people to actually uh, take it and use it for the application they have. Interesting, huh? I- I, and, uh, you know, over the next, you know, five years, how do you want your uh, kind of research to develop or what would you uh, envision now you would be working on in five years or what do you want your algorithms to be able to do in five years? Uh, so the the algorithms I was mentioning that I'm trying to make it robust, so basically it's trying to, to enable robots to move robustly in the environment. Yeah. But, um, there are 
quite a number of problems in that still. So, for instance, if you have uh, very little information about your environment, so that's, uh, there will be very large uh, large um, state space that you might have, and that's still and the possible actions you can do. So that's still a little bit that's still problematic. But I guess uh, in the next five to ten years, I hope that kind of problems can be solved. And uh, well, I guess my my sort of dream is to have robots be able to figure out, for instance, how to accomplish its task by utilizing the tools in its environment by itself. So I guess an example for this is that if you put a, a small kid, for instance, perhaps four or five years old, right, in a room uh, where there's um, there's like a jar of candies on top of the shelf. The kid will unlikely be able to see exactly that there's candy there, but somehow if you leave the, uh, he for, for an hour or so, I'm pretty sure he will figure out that there's candies there, and then <laughs> yep. even though it is not within his reach, uh, he will find a way to reach it, be it with chairs, with even hot hanger, with, with anything. Right? <laughs> Practically, he can get what he wants, uh, even though it is out of reach. So uh, my question is that, so can we enable robots to do the same in the sense that uh, if you let the robot roam around, then it can figure out uh, something that uh, it rec- it needs, for instance, uh, even though it doesn't see it directly, like the case with the, with the candies, it might not be directly feasible by the kid, but the kid will figure it out, there's some candies there. And also then be able to conceptualize on how to actually get that that mm-hmm. thing that uh, that the robot wants uh, to get. And so so how does it assemble available tools in the environment into something that it can use to to accomplish whatever task it wants to accomplish? Mm-hmm. But that's... that's sort of my my big picture. Uh, and for that, I think the problem is really how do you enable the robot to figure out what to do when, uh, what to do, how to make good strategy and reliable decisions when, uh, when it doesn't have perfect understanding about how the world works and about the, about the effect of the actions that it has to the environment. And so all this, uh, it used to be that, uh, that people try to solve this problem by being very conservative, trying to make the robots to be very safe, rather enlarging all the obstacles, for instance, or sometimes they go the other extreme, which is, okay, let's just uh, don't care about the, the long term. Uh, we just do reactive. We try to avoid obstacles as we go along. Uh, we try to not really do a lot of strategizing, just really do reactive. But in what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do things in the middle, which is I'm trying to quantify these errors and uncertainty uh, a little bit to the extent that I can uh, do that. Uh, but then by having a much faster algorithms also, I'm hoping that we can actually adapt and uh, this strategy um, much faster. And yeah, and, and basically hopefully, in the end of the day, can solve the kind of problems I was mentioning. Wow. Well, that's that's uh, quite a vision. I, I, I think you have uh, enough work for a few years there. Yeah, I, I can't imagine when a robot could actually do that. So, That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, I hope so. Yes. No, that's, that's something to wake up for for each day. And, uh, but no, I, and I think that's probably a good way to end this uh, podcast kind of with your vision and where hopefully robotics will go. And I love the example of the kid. So that's a, that was a good, good uh, picture you painted. Um, But yeah, I definitely appreciate your uh, time, Hannah, and telling us about your interests and just kind of what you're working on and what you've learned and, I, I enjoyed it, and I hope uh, everyone else enjoyed it as much as I did. Okay. Thanks. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Definitely. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Flyover Labs. As always, I definitely appreciate it. Bye, Hannah. Bye, everyone. <laughs>